Morning, church. Great to see you guys this morning. Y'all looking really good today. Y'all ready to worship today? Okay, that was a little bit good. Y'all ready to worship today? All right, that's better. Don't you love? Don't you love children? Well, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving, and we always want to say good morning. I don't hardly ever do this because I forget, but say good morning to those who are watching online. Some people do that from home, and some are traveling back uh, today from their vacation this week. And so if you're watching us via the vehicle or from your living room, good morning to you as well. I wanted to um, just kind of give you a brief introduction to what we'll be discussing this morning, and that is our testimony. First of all, do you have one? And if so, what is it? I think you're going to find this passage really interesting that we look at um, this morning. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones, if you've never read Martin Lloyd-Jones, you need to. Um, like if you want to plunge the depths of Christianity. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, Our supreme need as Christians is to know God. Think about that. Our supreme need as Christians is to know God. So we walk around as uh, followers of Christ and we pray that people would come to know God. But what Martin Lloyd-Jones is saying is that as Christians we need to know him. Meaning at a deeper level, more intimate knowledge. Um, this is what I think our passage will help us to, to think through. Um, this morning, um, we don't want to spend time so much on the justification piece of our testimony um, when we were initially saved, but we do want to spend time, a lot of time this morning on that sanctification piece. I was talking to someone just <clears throat> actually this last week, <clears throat> family members, <clears throat> excuse me, extended family and uh, they said, Dad, what are you speaking on Sunday? Now, they live in Florida. And uh, actually, Micah's uh, father-in-law, mother-in-law, they said, Dad, what are you speaking on Sunday? I said, sanctification. And they're like, oh, we like sanctification. And I thought, that's good. Um, it's really a subject maybe that's even neglected. Could we say that, potentially? That salvation is really important and understanding that One's been justified and uh, sealed in Christ is, is very important. But I like what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. Our supreme need as Christians is to know God. The Apostle Paul, some 25 years after um, his own salvation, wrote these words. And if you want to follow along, you can. In Philippians chapter 3, he wrote these words to... The believers in Philippi, this is not our text for this morning, but it is a good preview to what we will discuss. Paul, in writing to these believers in Philippi, said, More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all 
things and count them but rubbish. That word there means dung. So that I may gain Christ and may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now notice verse 12. Not that I already obtained it or have already become perfect but I press on. What's he talking about? Sanctification. I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which, I, which also I was laid hold of by Christ. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul understood sanctification. He understood the importance of living a life for Christ. And I think when it comes to our testimony, many times that's more historical than it is present tense. In other words, I was saved when I was eight or nine years old, I was saved when I was 25 or 30, and since that point, this is how I have come to know my God more. So there ought to be things that we attach to that, right? Um, it's like, to me, the analogy, you have a Christmas tree, and if the Christmas tree represents our justification, all the little things that we put on the tree represent our sanctification. And that all these things we learn in the Christian life. And I think this morning, hopefully, you'll come to appreciate more um, this issue of knowing God more intimately and more personally, uh, kind of like you think about your job. When you work, you get to know your job, and you better be good at it, and you know all the things that go around it, all the things that kind of define that. And I think when it comes to the life of a Christian, there ought to be a great understanding of the need for developing our knowledge of God and who he is. So, All right, well, let's pray. And after we pray, um, you want to stand up. I can see it in your face. And we're going to move about the sanctuary, and we're going to say hello to someone this morning. Try to find somebody you do not know, all right? So let's stand together, and we'll pray, and then we'll welcome uh, one another uh, this morning. So, Father, thank you so much for another day of life. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of being able to know you. And we want to know you more intimately, more deeply. And that happens through um, getting in your word and studying your word and then uh, using what we know intellectually about you and then um, living that out. And as we're going to see this morning, we can know a lot of facts, but ultimately it's what we do with those things that we know about you that make the difference in our lives. And it's certainly a display case to those people uh, in our lives that we come in contact with. So help us, we pray by your spirit, to be 
um, good listeners today. And help us, Father, I pray that as we uh, worship uh, through song, that uh, we may be uh, singing just from an overflow uh, in our hearts of knowing you. And uh, we just commit uh, this morning to you. And all these things we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Go around and welcome one another uh, this morning. All right, guys, as you begin making your way back to your seat. Yeah, great, great question. As everybody makes their way back to the seat, you may remain standing, please. That way we're not doing musical chairs here, okay? Everybody remain standing. This could go on forever, right? The sound of, uh, the, sound of the Saints Fellowship is awesome. I literally took my earbud out for a minute so I could hear you guys. Um, well, this morning, we're here to worship the Lord. Amen? Something struck me uh, a few weeks ago as I was preparing for today, actually. Um, Paul in Ephesians, as he is writing to those Ephesians, after he said, be filled with the Spirit, he then said, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So the singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, that's something that's constantly in my mind as we're doing this this morning. But something that's not hovering um, in my mind is that we are to address one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So this morning as we worship, we are in fact 
discipling one another. You ever thought about that? We're actually discipling one another. That word, um, speak or, or address, it, uh, let me get to it real quick. It, um, the, the word there actually means uh, to utter articulate sounds. And then another version of that definition is to use words in order to declare one's mind and disclose one's thoughts. So this morning, you and I together, I'm declaring to you, we're declaring to one another our mind and our thoughts about God. And the great thing about being saved is those thoughts are unified, right? So let's join our hearts this morning. We're going to be singing about the goodness of our Father. He is good through and through. Amen? We're going to be singing about the fact that we have been freed from the bondage of slavery um, and and sin and, and all those types of things. We're going to be singing about the fact that he alone is the author of our salvation. Let's join our hearts together this morning.
of our salvation. Come feel my life again. 
give my life to follow everything I believe in. Now I surrender. I surrender. Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty. salvation he rose and conquered the grave Jesus conquered the grave so we shine our light shine your light and let the whole world see we're singing the glory of a risen King. Oh, Jesus, shine your light and let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of a risen this next song you guys can be seated this next song we're going to do it's called no longer slaves and the main the main point of the song at least as I hear it is we are no longer slaves to fear um, and that can take on many many different connotations for us and meanings uh, the question this morning is, what, what do you fear? And God, over and over and over again, both in the Old Testament um, and the New Testament, He communicates to His people, you don't need to fear because I'm with you. So this morning, we have nothing to fear. Zero. Not the opinions of others. Um, not the acceptance of men. Not our finances. Um, 
God has loved us. We're told in 1 John, perfect love casts out fear. And so we, because we have been loved in such a way that we've been loved by God, we don't have to fear anything. So most of you guys have heard this song. B's done it a few times. I think the youth has done this song a few times. But we're going to sing. It's, it's real easy to sing. You're going to get to know that chorus. Uh, it just simply says, we are no longer slaves to fear because we're, we're children of God. So let's sing that together. Oh, I'm no longer a slave to fear For I am a child of God Sing that Oh, I'm no longer a slave to fear For I am a child of God You unravel me with a melody You surround me with a song No deliverance from my enemies Till all my fears are gone I'm no longer oh, I'm no longer slave I am a child of God. Oh, I'm no longer slave to fear. For I am a child of God. From my mother's womb, you have chosen me. Love has called my name. Oh, I've been born again into your family. Your blood flows through my veins. No longer. Oh, I'm no longer a slave to fear. For I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear For I am a child of God Oh, I'm no longer a slave to fear For I am a child of God Oh, I'm no longer a slave
Kevin and Carson and Colton. If you're visiting with us, the boys look like their father. Just in case if you wanted to know if it was a family that was up here today singing, you would be absolutely correct. Years ago, my wife and I were having a discussion and um, if I remember the context correctly, it came about as a result of funerals. I do a lot of funerals and um, have done many over 32 years. And uh, one of the things that I desire at a funeral is to speak about the person's testimony. Um, I want to know when they came to Christ. You know, we had a funeral recently, and one of the things I was able to share was about a person's testimony. And after the service, um, I was in the foyer, and um, a friend um, who has been a friend of Grace and Springville Road for years said to me, Thad, I think it's a great idea that you would want to know the testimonies of your people. Well, that's what Teresa said years ago. 
And she went on to say, Teresa, that it would be great if we put together a book of testimonies. It's a good idea. That we would, as a church, have a book of testimonies. And this person, after the funeral service, back to them, said, Thad, my pastor has, we have put together a book of testimonies uh, from our people over the years. And one of the things that is good to know is the testimony of a believer. It's good to have that historical reference to the time when that person came to know Christ. We assume that people share their testimony, but I would um, ask the question, out of curiosity, how many times over the years have you shared or had the opportunity to share your own personal testimony, and what was that or what did that involve? Did it simply involve a historical reference to when you came to Christ, um, which is obviously important that you're able to look back and to say, this is when I came to know Christ. But it's also important to be able to, when you're speaking about your testimony, to talk about your present life. What is going on in relationship with God. How has that been developed over the years? So for just a moment, think back to that time when you came to know Christ. Could you speak to that point in time? It would be great if you shook your head. Yes? Is it only that historical reference that you would point to, or is there testimony Beyond that of your relationship with God. Charles Spurgeon wrote these words. Sometimes we forget that we should pray earnestly for people after they come to know Christ. How does that hit you? It seems like that that was a concern of the Apostle Paul. In fact, if you study the prayers of Paul, you will find that his interest is that his audience would develop their relationship with God. So if someone asked you the question, what do you know about God? What would you say? And then... What if they followed it up with, what have you experienced in your life, in your relationship with God, and what you know about it? So many times the focus is on just the historical reference and not necessarily on this issue of or sanctification or a sanctified life. And when we think about a sanctified life, I hope this makes sense to you, but I think there's a lot of emphasis on a sanctified life and what we do and not as much on developing the relationship with God. Does that make sense? In other words, a busy Christian is a good Christian. Right? I think that's some of the language. If they're busy, if they're doing, then wow, 
that's great, but it could just be work. It may not be really ministry. It may not be from an overflowing of joy in knowing God. Does that make sense? So that you have some who look at the life of sanctification as only what one does for God, absent of knowing God. Does that make sense? So that I would say that sometimes you might even describe a person's testimony as they're saved, but they stayed in the shallow end of the pool their whole life. And they never plunged into the depths. My argument would be that the depths are where we need to land the plane. And that if we're in the depths of knowing God, this other part, this labor that we call it, or working for Christ, it's just going to come and it's going to overflow. And there's not going to be these limitations. Oh God, I'll only do this. You say, well, really? Yeah, really. Because if I'm over here in the depths, then I'll understand, I'll come to know by experience that in the life of the Lord Jesus, he was a servant. That's how his life could be described. And his focal point was on glorifying the Father. So that maybe if we had over here, if we spent more time in the deep end of the pool getting to know who God is, then out of that abundance of knowledge will flow just a natural serving in our lives. And we won't view serving as Sunday, Wednesday, special events, but it'll just be all the time. That makes sense? I was trying to make sense of this in my office this week. Makes sense to me. And it makes sense that Paul would pray for those that he served in that way. So I guess this morning, as I was thinking about putting this together and asking the Lord for a lot of help, I really want to focus in on the sanctification piece of our testimony. And I want to do that from the book of Ephesians chapter 1. So I want you to take your Bibles and go to Ephesians 1. We're going to read 15 through 23, which is together is a full prayer that Paul prays for for these believers. But our focal point will be verses 15 through 17. We don't have time to cover all of it. So, this afternoon, after you eat your leftover turkey, if there's still any left, there shouldn't be, by the way, on Sunday. But if there is some, then you can um, study 18 through 23. Look at what Ephesians says, chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. Paul writes, for this reason, what reason? I mean, isn't that a natural question? If someone walked up to you, we don't talk like that, but if, if somebody walked up to you and said, for this reason, I am saying this, you'd say, well, what reason? Well, some theologians believe that 
Paul is referring back to all of what he's just talked about in terms of the blessings that a believer has in the Lord. Other theologians believe it refers back to verses 13 and 14. And that's where I land. I land on the fact that he, I believe in the immediate context, he's talking about for this reason. What reason? For the reason that you have the Spirit of God, and this is very important to hear, that you have the Spirit of God in you, and that you've been sealed by the Spirit of God, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. For this reason, because you belong to the Lord, because you've been sealed by His Spirit, for this reason. Okay? Now, that's very, very important to understand theologically. That at salvation, you are immediately indwelt by the Spirit of God, and you are sealed by the Spirit of God until the day of redemption. Does that sound okay to you? It's more than okay. It's the best thing you've heard because you're not trying to maintain your salvation or work for your salvation. What's Paul saying to these people? Hey, you're sealed. You belong to the Lord. For this reason, he says, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints... Do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet, and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I think one of the things that we have to immediately do is understand that, that what we read this morning and what we study is in the context of a prayer. That Paul is praying for those who already belong to the Lord. That's very essential. Okay, if, Otherwise, you're going to miss out on the right interpretation of what Paul is saying as he enters into this prayer on behalf of these believers. So, if we begin in verse 15, Paul commends them in relationship to their life, live for the Lord, or their sanctification. Okay? He commends them, and he commends them in two ways. First of all, he commends them in their faith. Notice what it says. I, too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exist among you and your love for all the saints. In context, he's talking about their daily faith. He had already given to us in 3 through 14 the fact that these people already belong to the Lord. 
I like what Kenneth Weiss says. He says, Paul is referring to their existent faith, not their initial faith. Now, there is an initial faith that these believers had. There's an initial faith that we have. But what Paul is commending them for is their life of faith, their daily faith, their daily trust in the Lord, which from my perspective is a neglected subject. There is a lot of discussion about initial faith, and rightly so. We need to speak to people about the importance of trusting in Christ alone for their salvation. But it's also relevant that we would have in mind daily faith. When I think about that, I think about the Old Testament, I think about Daniel. Daniel had a daily faith. Would you not say that would be one of the things that we could describe about Daniel? He had a daily faith. Um, It's a faith that says, I trust God today. And it's a faith that when I get up tomorrow, I say, I trust you today, Lord. Even in the midst of the hardest circumstance, I trust you. Now, think about this. Paul heard that this was their testimony. This was part of their sanctified life. That daily faith. Now, we might look at that and think, well, really, how important is that? How important is that? critical when is that on display or when should it be on display every day so how does that daily faith work out in my job or at school or at home or in speaking with my children see I don't just say to my children I have a testimony historically on the day when I came to know Christ, but my children should see what? A life lived out by what? Faith. It's great to talk about. We don't want to diminish the initial faith, and we're not doing that. But what we're saying is, and what Paul is saying is, hey, look, you have a daily faith that's been on display. That's a good thing. What happens to wayward Christians? One of the issues is their daily faith. You see, we have to keep our eye on that target. We have to keep our eye on the Lord Jesus, that no matter what it is in our lives that we're going through, sickness, financial hardship, rebellious teenagers, Lord, I'm trusting you. How many parents, think about it, how many parents have set up at night saying, Lord, I have, I have nowhere else to go. I'm trusting you with my rebellious child. So, I like Paul's commendation because it reminds me of the importance of daily faith. It's something that's critical to the Christian life. It's the wisdom of Solomon, trust in the Lord with all your heart. It's it's, it's trusting in him. He can bring it to pass. Not trusting in man, 
not trusting in self, but trusting in the Lord. So Paul commends them in their faith. He commends them also for their love. Notice what he says. For this reason too, I having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints. You're going to love this. You ready? Note, first of all, that, is, that it is love for the saints. He doesn't commend them on their love for those without Christ. Now, is it important to love those without Christ? Yes, but that's not what he's talking about. And it's very clear based on the language. It's love for the saints. It's love for those who belong to the Lord. One might say, oh, Thad, I love all those who belong to the Lord. Really? Would we say it is easy to love all those that belong to the Lord? You may be looking up here going, no, Thad, it's not easy to love you. That's okay, but that's okay. Much rather have honesty. Mm. This hits us where we live. Also note that this love is for all the saints, not selected few saints. Isn't that awesome? You know what all means? All. It means all. It means I love all the saints. I love all the believers. Might I say that we're going to spend eternity with Jesus and all believers. Yeah, but that I didn't love them. Well, that's going to work out. Did you know that this love is a volitional choice? It's a decision that you make. Paul commends them for the decision that they made. Because love, right, it is a choice. But we can't love the other believers correctly without who? The Spirit of God. This love is not only a volitional choice, as we know from the, from the Greek word, it's a sacrificial love, and it's an unconditional love. How does that look practically? Sacrificial means others first. The world has a completely different message. It's me first. And it's me all the time. And don't you know it's me? But the church should just look completely different. Yes? You agree with that? You're having a hard time. Do you know Jesus spoke of this to his disciples in the upper room after Judas left? He spoke about this exact same issue. He said to his disciples, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And if I am going to volitionally make that decision and sacrificially love them and unconditionally love them, meaning there's nothing there attached, I'm going to need the help of the Holy Spirit. 
Are you listening to me? Because if you try to do that on your own, you're going to fall flat on your face. And it's going to be all I can do. It I used to like be a pep rally in your living room. I can love this person. I can do it. I can do it. No. You can't do it apart from the help of the Holy Spirit. So these are not small things in their testimony that Paul is commending them for. These are large things. Faith and love. So you want to know how to flesh that out in terms of examination? Then we pray something like this to the Lord. Lord, help me to love all of my brothers and sisters in Christ. Show me the ones I'm not loving. Is that okay? See, I figure if it's in here, i got to deal with it. So, I have to deal with it. And the way I deal with it, I can look around the room today and go, well, I love these believers. I'm, I'm looking at you as individuals. Do I love you individually? Is that something that's important? It's absolutely imperative. So, Paul commends them in areas of their sanctification. But then we get a window into Paul's own sanctification. This is beautiful. It's like an icing on the cake thing. Look at this. Verse 15. For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints. Here's that window into Paul's life of sanctification. Do not cease giving thanks for you. <whistles> while making mention of you in my prayers. That's pretty strong. So we can say two things about Paul's sanctified life just in this text. He was continually giving thanks to the Lord for these believers. And he was praying. He was a man of prayer. Right here in verse 16. He continued to give thanks for these believers. And if you look at the Pauline literature over and over again in his books, he's thanking the Lord for these believers. This is not an isolated case for the Apostle Paul. Many of his letters start out by giving thanks for those that he was writing to. So he says here, I don't cease giving thanks for you. Imagine if somebody walked up to you and said, I do not cease giving thanks for you. That'd be weird, wouldn't it? You'd be like, what's wrong with you? Did you just listen to that message today or something? I mean, what's going on? Why do you give thanks to God for other saints? Huh? Brings him glory. Why do we give thanks to the Lord for other saints? Because you love them. Because they love you. Because even, Lord, when they are a thorn in my side, you're using that to form me up. 
Yep. Last week, one of my friends here in the church came up to me afterwards and said, Dad, who do unbelievers think? That's a good question, isn't it? Who do they think? I mean, as a Christian, we thank the Lord. There's an object there. We thank the Lord for things. But who do unbelievers think? Themselves? I mean, what does that look like? So when you look at the window here that Paul gives us into his life of sanctification, he had an attitude of giving thanks. But notice also in verse 16, it says, while making mention of you in my prayers, prayer was a major part of the life of the Apostle Paul. And we were exposed to his prayers over and over again in the letters that we have in the New Testament. And listen, many times his prayers have to do with a life of sanctification. He's praying for their personal growth. He's praying that the gospel would be advanced. Now, I don't want you to mishear me. We pray for a lot of things in the lives of people. We pray for their illnesses. We pray, right, for their families. All of that is fine to do. And we should. But we should be praying for each other's growth in the Lord. Because if you look at it, he, he attaches some substance to what he's saying in verse 16. Notice he says, while making mention of you my prayers, that. So he connects it. He has a specific request for these believers. And this specific request has to do with their continued growth. We watch children grow up, don't we? We do. And they come out and they're just so precious and cute and, and sanctified, right? I mean, they just, they're so sweet to hold. And, and, and even when they're young and they're two and they're little, you know, rugrats, we, we love that. We love them right up till they get to be about 10 or 11 or 12. And then something happens. But we watch these kids go through stages of development. It never crosses our mind that the one that we hold is going to always be that little baby I hold like this. Now, I know a lot of mothers call their children babies their whole life. But the reality is that they're not going to hold that little baby they held the first few weeks of its life. They're going to watch it grow. You know what should happen in the life of a church? We should watch each other grow spiritually. How's that sound? Because we watch each other grow physically, and then you get to that age where you don't grow anymore. That age for me was like 13. I was five foot eight at 13. And I thought six four was coming. <laughs> Never came. 
And why Teresa picked me off that basketball team, I'll never know. Because all the other guys were six foot and older or taller except for Malcolm. He's as tall as me. But we expect our children to grow. We don't even think about it. It just happens. Well, Paul has a specific request in relationship to their growth, and this is really incredible. It begins in verse 17. He says, I'm praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, all these phrases are critical. And so, since we have time, I'm going to tell you about them. What's he referring to here specifically? Paul's connecting this phrase with the next one. That's just the way it goes. He's saying, while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, emphasizing the humanity of the Lord. Why does he do that? Because of the next phrase. The Father of glory. What do we know about the life of Christ as it relates to his Father? What do we know? Turn back in your Bibles with me to John's Gospel in chapter 17. I should have had you bring your turkey to the church today. I'm only kidding. When we think about Jesus Christ, what comes to our mind? Is it only his humanity or only his deity? Or is it both? Fully man? Fully God? Okay. So as fully man, we get a glimpse into the reason Paul uses both of these phrases in Ephesians 1. Because of the relationship between the Son and the Father. Okay? This is really critical. In what is the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ, just as a side note, this is the Lord's prayer. I know a lot of people want to go to Matthew 6. That's the prayer for the disciples. He's teaching them to pray. This is the prayer of the Lord. Jesus spoke these things in lifting up his eyes to heaven. Notice the direction. Lifting up his eyes... To heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may what? Glorify you. Well, what glorifies the Father? Obedience. And what do we have a testimony of in John 17? The obedience of the Son. Even as you gave him authority, notice verse 2, over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you. The only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. 
Notice this verse 4. This is a statement Jesus makes prior to accomplishing the work. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, the cross is not yet. He says, I glorified you on the earth. So we, all the time we say, well, he's worthy of glory. Who knew that? The son. The son knew that. We could argue he's always known that. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. I did what, Jesus says? I glorified you on the earth. That's just, what, six words? Those are huge words. I glorified you on the earth. Remember a few weeks ago I said that one day we will see the face of the Lord Jesus and how will we see his face? That matters. You know what Jesus is saying here? It's that same picture. Except he's on earth and he said in the presence of his disciples, hey, Father, I glorified you on the earth. Having accomplished the work which you've given me to do, now, Father, glorify me together with yourself. What does that assert? One and the same. The deity of the Lord Jesus. With the glory which I had with you before the world was. Oh! Who had it before the world was? Jesus. Oh, he wasn't a created being. No, he's always been. Always been worthy of glory, just like the Father. Now, I don't know how all that hits you, but I think it's critically important in light of the context of Ephesians. Because Paul in Ephesians says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him, meaning the Father. I like what Wayne Barber says about God's glory. He said, God's glory refers to His majesty. It refers to the awesome splendor of His presence. He goes on to say, God is not the old man upstairs, nor is He our buddy in the sky, He's the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father. Now listen to this, the Father of the glory. Because in the original text, that article is there. It's not just the Father of glory, it's the Father of the glory. You say, well, how does that translate? What does that mean? Glad you asked. A.W. Pink answered the question. A.W. Pink wrote about the Father of glory. He said this, there are kings... But he is the only glorious king. There are other fathers. But he is the only father of the glory. <laughs> I love the scriptures. I love what we're able to pull out. 
this is a, a pretty deep prayer that Paul is praying. And he addresses the Father as the Father of glory. And then he gets this specific request. He says, in my prayers, I pray that the, the God of our, to, excuse me, in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, now here's the specific request that he gives. And this has to do with their sanctification, with their life after salvation. Does that make sense? In other words, he's already commended them for a couple of things as it relates to their life after Christ. But he's going to specifically pray for two things in verse 17. I pray that the Father of glory may give to you a spirit of wisdom in the knowledge of him. And that he would give you a spirit of revelation in the knowledge of him. Now some translations, okay, your translations might have it. And I think the New King James might have that S capitalized. I'm pretty sure it does. So what they've done there is then just translated it for you and have said that that's a reference to the Holy Spirit. I think maybe even the NIV does that. There are a couple of translations that do that. I think maybe even the ESV might. And some people believe that that's who Paul is referring to here. That the spirit of wisdom and of revelation is in reference to the Holy Spirit. I don't hold that view. And the reason I don't hold that view is because they already have the Spirit. Why would he pray for them to have the Spirit of wisdom? They have the Holy Spirit who lives in them, who does, yes, give them wisdom. He does do that. And he does reveal, he does do that. But in the context of the passage, these folks already have the Holy Spirit. I don't think he's praying for them to have the Holy Spirit. They already have the Holy Spirit. Um, John Walvard in his commentary on Ephesians says, Paul's referring to one's, by using the word spirit here, small s, is referring to one's attitude or mental frame of mind, which makes sense in the context of the passage. And so he's praying that they would have an attitude of wisdom, Attitude of wisdom in the knowledge of him. And praying for an attitude of revelation in the knowledge of him. I wanted to give you some definitions because I think it's going to help clear up what he's praying for specifically. He's basically praying that they would have wisdom in the knowledge of him and that they would have revelation in the knowledge of him. Overarching theme is, hey, I'm praying you'll know God better. I mean, just to put it in... A simple vernacular. The word wisdom here, the best, the best translation is insight. It means insight. So he's praying that they would have insight into the knowledge of God. All right? Wisdom is using the facts and living them out. Does that make sense? It's taking what I learn. And it's applying it. Wowie, papow. Now, when you think about that wisdom in the knowledge of him, 
there's a plethora of wisdom that we receive from the scriptures as it relates to God. Wisdom itself is critical in the life of a Christian. And Solomon, which I think for some of us, it seems humorous that Solomon would write about wisdom, but he does. Listen to what he writes about wisdom. In chapter 2, he says, My son, listen to these words in Proverbs. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom. Wisdom. I have a friend that says, wisdom says. He uses it all the time. Incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver, meaning wisdom, and search for her as for hidden treasures... Then you will discern the fear of the Lord. Kevin talked about this morning, the fear of the Lord. Wisdom helps me in that. And discover the knowledge of God, for the Lord gives wisdom. What does James write? If you lack what? Wisdom. Ask of God. I lack a lot of wisdom. I need wisdom. And specifically, Paul prays for them in their sanctified life that they would have wisdom in the knowledge of God in other words that they would be able to appropriate the things that they know about God what do we know about God we know he's trustworthy can I appropriate that yes we know he is love can I appropriate that yes mercy all those things listen to this Verse 6 of, of Proverbs 2. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. Not just wisdom, but sound wisdom. Our world needs some sound wisdom. You know, people, I get text messages all the time and phone calls and Dad, this is what's wrong with our world. This is what's wrong. You know what's wrong with our world? Number one, as Bill said, it's sin. People don't know God. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's not complex. I don't have to watch a two-hour video on what's going on to figure out, oh, man, this is, all this is bad in our world. I know it's bad. Why is it bad? Because men don't know God. They don't have initial faith. So they certainly don't have a knowledge of who he is. And they're certainly, if they don't know who he is, they can't appropriate the things that they know about him. But we can. And that's what Paul's saying to these guys. You can. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Guarding the paths of justice and he preserves the way of his godly ones. I'm going to read this. Proverbs 3. Listen to this. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom. And the man who gains understanding. Now listen to these words. This is awesome. For her profit, in other words, wisdom, is better than the profit of silver. It's better. So how important is it for me to understand and to know the things of God? Critical. So when someone comes 
to you or to me and says, I really don't know what God says about finances. Well, I do. You do. We know that we have it because it comes from who? God. We, we know that he takes care of the sparrows and he clothes the lilies of the field. How much more are we in value? Well, that's knowledge, but the wisdom of that is acting on that. If I know that he owns it all and I know he is my supplier, then what do I have to worry about? Nothing. Because people like to go around as Christians and say, oh, he's my sufficiency. Is he? See, I mean, it's one of those things where I have to check myself, right? Well, Solomon says, she is more precious, wisdom is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire compares with her. So maybe, in a practical way, as we pray for our believing children, we pray that they would come to have wisdom in the knowledge of God. So they would be able to discern the decisions that need to be made in their life in order that they might please Him. So he's pretty, pretty specific about praying for wisdom. I like what one author says, wisdom speaks of insight into things, that, into things as they really are. Wisdom knows how to use the facts. Wisdom is applied knowledge. And then he says, not only I pray for the spirit of, of uh, wisdom and the knowledge of God, but he prays, notice secondly, he says, my prayer is that the Father would give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Revelation. That's a big word, isn't it? By the way, it's the book of Revelation. Uh, Revelations. Revelation, you know what it literally means? It means to uncover one's head. Now, I want you to use your imagination. And pretend that I was wearing a hat in which you could not see my hair. Wisdom, I mean, revelation would be this, an uncovering so that you're able to what? See. And what would you see? Brown hair or gray hair? Don't be scared to answer. Gray hair. The unveiling would do what? It would reveal. So Paul is praying that there would be a disclosure to them. That there would be an uncovering of things that were otherwise hidden to them. Now I want you to think about this though. Because at the time that Paul's writing, they did not have all of the scriptures. So there was an unveiling that was going on in real time. Does that make sense? The script, it was an unveiling that was going on in real time. Now, I just want to give you quickly definitions. I'm almost done. So if you're thinking, man, he's going to be going until 1230. I'm almost done. 
there's two main headings under Revelation. There's general revelation, and there's special revelation. General revelation would be this. Psalm 19, 1 through 4. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. Okay? It's what we can see. It's the no excuse in Romans 1.20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. So that men are without what? Without excuse. So that's general revelation. Then there's special revelation. And that's how God has chosen to reveal himself. Special revelation would be, as we go back through the scriptures, it would include dreams and visions. We see a lot of that where? In the Old Testament. Okay, But it also includes the written word of God. Now, when Paul wrote to these Ephesian believers, did they have everything that was to be unveiled? Answer, no. So, wow, what kind of advantage do we have? So you talk about being without excuse, right? In general revelation, we're without excuse as it relates to the unveiling or disclosure of God's word so that we really have no excuse when it comes to saying things like, I just don't know what God says about this. He's already said it. And we have it in its full revelation. So he's praying that these believers would be able to take the lid off, as one theologian said, that they would be able, the lid would be taken off And they would be able to see clearly the things of God. So in real time, Paul is praying that prayer. I'm praying the lid will be taken off and you'll be able to see all the things that are available to you in God through Jesus Christ. And specifically, if you wanted to make application, you could go back to even verses 3 through 14. That was an unveiling, a mystery hidden. You said, what was the unveiling, a mystery hidden? Paul had just told them how... The Trinity works in salvation and all the blessings that they have. That was something that was hidden. Paul wrote it. It was the lid was taken off. They were able to see. So, what does Paul pray for? He prays for their sanctification. And in real simple language, he prays that they would get to know God on a more deeper, intimate level because he ends this prayer this first part of the prayer this way. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. By the way, guys, if we're, gonna, if we're going to unpackage what God wants for us, we've got to open these pages and, and let, let, let it reveal to us who God is and what he wants for us. But notice this. The Father of glory may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. 
Oh, so Paul's praying that they would just have this like intellectual knowledge of God. Is that what he's doing? It's not what he's doing. The term here, knowledge, is an experiential knowledge. It's an intimate, deep knowledge of God. It's this illustration, and then I'm done. If we broke out a map, you remember maps? Right? I mean, who breaks out a map? Does anybody have a map in their car? Wow. There are a few more mature ones here. Is that how we would say it? I actually have a map of Kentucky in one of our vans. I don't know why I have a map of Kentucky. Anyway, I do. But if we were to take a map and we were to spread it out on the table, out in the foyer, we're going to include all of you in this illustration. There is, to our south, Gulf Shores. Okay? So if we went out, let's say that was our destination. If we went out in the foyer, had this huge map, and everybody gathered around, there are going to be two categories of people. There are going to be people that have a knowledge of Gulf Shores, meaning they know it's there. They see it on a map. But then there are going to be people who have experienced Gulf Shores. Same word, right? But different because they're experiencing it. You see knowledge in the Bible, you need to do a study on it. Is it just general facts or is it a more intimate, deep, personal knowledge? Well, this word here means deep intimacy. So we're out in the foyer and let's say 35 people are over here and they have a knowledge of the fact that there is a Gulf Shores. But that's all they got. But they have that. But then on this side, there's 75 people who have an intimate knowledge of Gulf Shores. Is there a difference? There's a difference. Did these people have a knowledge of God over here? Yes, they did. They had the facts. And they were receiving the facts. What was Paul praying for? He wasn't praying for that. He was praying for this, that they would have a deep intimacy understanding of God. Because I've been to Gulf Shores. I've put my toes in the sand. You done that? I've seen those spin-up clouds in the Gulf. You seen that? That's actually pretty cool. I've helped my grandkids dig in the sand. I've walked on the shore with my wife in the sand. I've seen that sunset that only you can see down there. I've experienced all that. Have you? So when it comes to the Lord, are you just here? That's good. This is better. So when you look at this, you say, wow, 
What's Paul praying for? He's praying for this. I'm praying they would have a deep, intimate, personal understanding of God. Let's pray. Well, Lord, there's a lot to consider there. and I just pray that your Holy Spirit would use this in our lives and uh, that we would live for your glory. And all this I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. I've been debating for the last few minutes about whether to stand you guys in this last song because it's a newer song, but I want you guys to stand. <laughs> this song is called Always. And as Thad was talking about the, uh, the target that we need to be hitting in this life, <clears throat> we can be glad together that that target is not a moving target. Um, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 13, verse 8 uh, right in the middle of instructing believers how to live, he said, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And this song is all about, like, if we went around this room for the next 45 minutes, I know you're hungry, but if we did, and every one of you guys shared and we shared, what, what is the key attribute of God um, that has impacted us? We would all share those things, and then we would rest in the fact that those things will never, ever change. You're talking about God's mercy, his salvation, forgiveness, justice, peace. They never change. And this song is all about that. I want you guys to listen and please sing along. You guys have heard this song on the radio, perhaps. If you haven't, I want you guys to learn it because we're going to be singing this song quite a few times over the next few weeks, okay? to the blind I believe that the dead came to life and I believe there were wonders and signs and you're still the same I believe every word that you say I believe there were scars in your hands that your goodness is good without end and you'll never change i will tell of your wonders and sing of your grace the god of creation he knows me by name the lord is faithful yesterday now and always After age, all generations will bow down and praise the Lord is faithful yesterday, now, and always. Always, I believe you will come in the clouds, I believe you are here even now. In your presence, I know there is power. Sing of your grace, the God.
God of creation, He knows me by name. The Lord is faithful yesterday, now, and always, always. Your mercy is mighty, age after age, to all generations. We bow down and praise the Lord is faithful yesterday, Chris Tomlin can sing, so can Kevin, but I heard that song several weeks ago, I think I even sent it to Buddy, and it's just a, man, what a song, what a message, and as I was singing that last part, I thought, well, every knee's going to bow, and every tongue's going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the praise of his glory. Guys, I hope you understand what Paul was doing, because I think that um, for me anyway, I would much rather you pray for my spiritual health than my physical health. Pray that the Lord would deepen my understanding of Him because we know the Bible says He's intimately acquainted with all of our ways, but I want that to be, I want to be intimately acquainted with all of His ways. So, make one announcement um, before we leave today. Well, two. One, will be having baby dedication on December 11th. So if you want to dedicate your baby or your child, I want to bring your teenagers up here. We'll dedicate them um, to the Lord. Um, but that's going to be on December 11th. Also, the ladies' Christmas dinner is this Friday. This is the last day to sign up. And sign-up sheets are right out there in the foyer. So you make your way to those. All right, trust you have a great week. And it was great seeing you today. All right, you're dismissed.